We want to commit this time and word to you, Lord. And as we've come out of worship, this beautiful time in your presence, Lord, as we now move in your, into your word today, let us encounter a revelation of your truth in the knowledge of who you are. And may we be impacted and changed so deeply that we will be ignited to live as kingdom representatives with hearts completely surrendered to your will and to your purpose that in so doing become catalysts of change in our world. May we be empowered to be the salt and light in this world that so desperately needs a Savior. We ask this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen. You may take your seats this morning and thank you to our worship team. Amen. Amen. Church, this morning it's a, a privilege to preach the Word of God again to you today. And today we continue with our series titled Preaching the Kingdom. This is a series that we will be focusing on as we work our way through Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. In this section of the book of Matthew, Jesus is speaking to his followers on what it means to be kingdom people with kingdom mindsets. And even though the sermon would probably take us 15, 20 minutes to read through from beginning to end, it is so full of wisdom and treasure that it will probably take us weeks, if not months, to get through it. And we know why we are placing such, such significance and focus on these kingdom values and principles, because this is where the Lord is leading us in this season. Today we are going to be focusing on Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. And the subtitle for today's message is Jesus and the heart of the law. If you're taking notes this morning, write that down. Jesus and the heart of the law. Up until this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been announcing what the character of God's people in his kingdom are like in that section that we call the Beatitudes. And then he talks about the resistance that those kingdom citizens are going to have when they face persecution from a hostile world that doesn't really like what they stand for and, and what they speak about. He follows up on that with the idea that nevertheless, we should be the salt and light in the world and be an active influence out in the world that God places us in to make an impact. Remember, as I said last time, you are either going to be an influencer or you are going to be influenced. And now beginning in verse 17, Jesus is going to go on to a, another point. Not directly related to what he's already said, except under that broad heading of what it means to live and think in his kingdom. So it's just as important for us to know. In this section that we're going to look at, Jesus is going to explain to us how we as his disciples should regard the law of Moses, the law of God, and in a sense the Old Testament, and through it all, why there is such a desperate need for a Savior. So let's read from verse 17, and then we'll get into some of the detail. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. 
I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. When Jesus begins to speak about the law and its place in the life of his followers, church, the very first thing that he wants us to know is that he did not come to wipe out the law and replace it with something new. He did not come to abolish the Ten Commandments or the the 600 or so other commandments contained in the law of Moses. No. He said, I did not come to do away with the law, but rather to fulfill it. That's what he says in verse 17. Jesus wants to make it very clear that his authority is not in contradiction to the law. Because you see, Jesus added nothing to the law except perfect obedience. That's something that no one had ever done and added to the law before. Because ever since the the fall of the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, everybody has come up short against the law of Moses, including you and I. It was only Jesus who perfectly obeyed and kept the law of God. And to emphasize what he says in verse 17, he goes on to say in verse 18, he he really emphasizes this. He says, for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And it's as if Jesus could say this in no stronger terms, right? We need to pay attention to this. Heaven and earth are going to pass away before one small part of the law vanishes. And by the way, I'm sure you're asking the same thing I did. What in heaven's name is a jot and a tittle? (laughs) Let me explain. A jot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet. So you take the Hebrew alphabet with all that it says. And the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, it almost looks like a half a letter. That's a jot. He says that's not going to pass away until everything is fulfilled. And a tittle is even smaller than a jot. Because a tittle is what is a little tail or what we would call a kapiki upon a letter that makes one letter another letter. Jesus says that not even one of these little strokes of a letter in the Hebrew alphabet is going to pass away until all is fulfilled. And just a a side note on this. This indicates very strongly that Jesus believed that not only the ideas of Scripture were inspired, but the very words of Scripture were inspired. The words comprised of all these, these little jots and tittles. The inspiration of Scripture extends even to the letters and the words themselves. So what this tells us, church, if if I can sum up these first couple of verses, it tells us that Jesus did not want to eliminate the law of Moses. In fact, he approved of the moral code of the law. Now, just a quick observation on that. The punishment associated with those laws changed from governmental system to governmental system. In ancient Israel, for example, they had what we sometimes call a 
theocracy, where God was the king and Israel was his special anointed and called people. They didn't hold an election to appoint a king or a president because in a supernatural way, God appointed the leaders of Israel and they either proved faithful or unfaithful. It was a special kind of kingdom. And church, under that kingdom, the punishment for certain moral commands was, was very serious. For example, under the Old Testament law and under that theocratic kingdom, adultery could be punished by death. We don't believe it should be that way today, and neither did Jesus in his time. Because when Jesus found a woman who was accused of adultery, the scribes and Pharisees brought this woman to him and they tried to test Jesus. They tried to test Jesus by saying in John chapter 8 verse 4, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. But Jesus, what do you say? <clears throat> and I just love how Jesus dealt with this. Jesus stooped down in the ground and, and started writing something. And as they continued to question him, church, he got up and said, He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And again he stooped down and started writing in the ground. And then it says, Those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Isn't Jesus amazing? You see, Jesus understood that under the Roman occupation, she could not be put to death anyway, but nevertheless, he exposed their self-righteousness. And you see, church, when we take the law as a whole, is we have somewhat of a very broad system of, of commands. And sometimes it's confusing to us as Christians as to what commands are binding upon us in the, the new covenant and, and what commands are not. And to give you a pretty, a pretty simple explanation on this, you could classify it this way. If the New Testament tells you that a command has specifically been fulfilled in Jesus and is no longer abiding upon believers, then, then guess what? It's fulfilled in Jesus and no longer binding upon believers today. Let me give you an example. You'll notice that this morning, or for that matter, every Sunday that we gather together, we are not going to sacrifice animals in this auditorium. Praise the Lord. <laughs> the Old Testament is filled with that kind of thing, but, but we don't do it. And why do we not sacrifice goats or other animals when the Old Testament talks about it all the time? Because the New Testament makes it very clear to us, church, that the sacrificial system was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and no longer needs to be practiced by Christians. So if the law says that it was fulfilled in Jesus, we don't practice it anymore. Another example would be the Sabbath. Many Christians are very confused about the Sabbath day. They ask when it comes to the Sabbath, aren't we bound to the, the Sabbath law? Shouldn't we be observing Saturday instead of Sunday? 
And there's even a Christian denomination that makes a very big deal about this, and they are convinced that they should be Seventh-day Adventists and observe the Sabbath on a Saturday. But we don't observe it that way. Can I tell you why? Because the New Testament says in Colossians chapter 2 that things such as the Sabbath and circumcision and even the Feast of Old were a shadow of the things that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ and are no longer binding upon believers. If that's what it says, then that's what we believe. But very importantly, church, when it comes to the moral commands of the Old Testament, like do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, and so on, we understand that these commandments are binding upon the people of God just as much today as they were in the days of Moses. And look, this is a very important point to make this morning because let me tell you something. There are some very weird interpretations of Scripture out there these days. And I'm not picking on anyone this morning, but I wanted to share something with you that I read. I don't know if you've heard this before, but there are certain Christians today and even some denominations that say, among other things, they say Jesus never said anything about the sin of homosexuality. So therefore, we as Christians should not be worried and think that there's anything morally wrong with that type of behavior. They're saying that we as Christians should not have any concern or hesitation or think that God disapproves of homosexual behavior or other types of sexual orientation or any other sin for that matter not mentioned in the New Testament by Jesus. Church, let me tell you something. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because when Jesus puts his stamp of approval on the Old Testament, the Old Testament law condemns homosexual behavior as one of the sins before God. One of the sins. There's many. What does he say? For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now, continuing on in the same thought, in verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And church, what you have here is Jesus saying very strongly that this book, the Bible and its, in its Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, and in the New Testament and Greek scriptures, this should be modeled, taught, and understood by his kingdom ambassadors. You see, we as Christians don't throw out the Hebrew scriptures, we rejoice in them. Jesus tells us that we should be doing them and teaching them. And listen, this should be of great importance to us because when he says, whoever does and teaches these things will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, church, but we should want to live and teach these important values so that Jesus would consider us great in the kingdom. This is a good reason for us to learn what Jesus is referring to here. But you see, church, there's a problem with this. The problem is, as we're going to find out, not only in today's message, 
But as we continue to make our way through the Sermon on the Mount, much of what people had been taught about the law of Moses was wrong. Because what you had, church, what they had been taught about the law of Moses either was, was way stricter than it should have been or way more per permissive than it should have been. And more often than not, it did not connect with the heart of God in His commandments. And so Jesus, in only a way that He can, is going to teach us about the right use of the law. I don't know about you, but that excites me. But before we get into that, did you notice the, the jaw-dropping statement that he makes in verse 20? He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And you know, as modern-day Christians, we might have this like, view of the scribes and Pharisees. We, we understand that their hearts went right. But you've got to understand, in, in Jesus' time, the Pharisees were the extreme example of righteousness. Even though Jesus knew the true condition of their hearts, according to everyone else, they were the perfect example of human righteousness and obedience to the law. They took the law and fulfilled it to the nth degree, right? And to give an example of how hard they tried to obey the law, when they were walking down the street in the marketplace, right, and a woman was walking toward them, no matter what type of woman, how old she was, what she was wearing, or how attractive she was, right? they would immediately shut their eyes so that they would not lust after that woman. And sometimes they would even injure themselves because they would walk into something or stumble over something. True story. The opposite is probably true these days because some men, probably all men at certain stages of their lives, look so lustfully at women that they crash their cars, that they walk into street poles, or they break their toes because they're not looking where they should be looking. Don't ask me how I know this because I'm not going to tell you. I heard about it from somebody else. But anyway, church, what Jesus is referring to here is that there's the human scale of righteousness, and then there's the Jesus scale of righteousness. And this is the, the amazing good news of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he has done for you and me. Because what Jesus says to you and me is that, yes, your righteousness is, is pretty messed up, and it will never be good enough, even with all your effort, even with all your trying. Even with all the, the promises and resolutions you make, even if you close your eyes, it'll never be good enough. But he says, my righteousness is perfect. And you see, church, what the good news of the gospel is, is that you don't have to stand before God in your own corrupted effort at righteousness. You can stand with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need to celebrate that fact this morning. Paul said this so excellently in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. He said, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Paul understood very clearly that there are two kinds of righteousness. 
a righteousness that comes from performing the law, and a righteousness that comes as the gift of God from Jesus. And you could put it this way. Righteousness according to the law is all about self-improvement, right, and trying to save yourself. Righteousness according to Jesus is about coming to the end of yourself and realizing that you can't save yourself. And here's the, the bad and the good news all wrapped up in one statement. Everyone in this room today is disqualified from pleasing God and accomplishing anything perfect for themselves on the righteousness that comes from the law apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus meant when he said you have to have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. We are not made righteous by keeping the law. Can we agree to that this morning? And church, I know I've spent quite a bit of time on explaining this today, but it is vital for us to understand this. For what Jesus is going to cover next and how he shows us the heart of his law in his kingdom. So beginning in verse 21, we go into a lengthy section that goes all the way to, to verse 48. And we're just going to cover one small part of it this morning from verses 21 to 26. But in this section that I'm mentioning, Jesus is going to talk about murder. He's going to talk about adultery. He's going to talk about hatred. He's going to talk about all these different issues, how it's been wrongly understood and taught by the, the teachers of his day and what the right teaching is from the Son of God himself. So here we go, verse 21. You've heard it said that those of old said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, I think it's pretty easy for us to agree that murder should be forbidden, right? That's a good law for us to have in society. And you may say, but pastor, that, that's pretty obvious. But the reason why Jesus speaks about it here is because something was wrong in the way that they taught it in Jesus' day. And how did they teach it? They said, as long as you don't actually murder, you're fine. You could harbor as much anger and hatred and bitterness in your heart against somebody else that you want, but as long as you don't actually murder them, you are, you're good to go, right? You want to go out and destroy their reputation. You want to speak evil of them to other people. You want to bring them down. That's fine. Just don't actually take the knife and, and plunge it into their heart. That's how they interpreted it in Jesus' day. And look, obviously Jesus agrees that, that murder is wrong. I mean, he's the creator of life himself. But he says that's not the only thing that brings you into judgment. He says in verse 22, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. The teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees was true enough, but they also taught and thought that if anything was short of murder, it was 
it was okay. And Jesus corrected this and made it clear that it's not only the act of murder that God is concerned about, but it is the heart of murder that God is concerned about. And church, I suppose there's probably very few of us in this place today, I hope none of us, that would ever actually commit an act of murder. Physically murdering somebody would be morally incomprehensible to us. But do you realize that doesn't let us off the hook regarding this crime? Because if we have a heart of hatred and anger and bitterness towards other people that we steadfastly hold on to, Jesus says this command speaks to you and you are in danger of judgment. You don't have the action of murder, but you have the heart of murder. Jesus exposed the the heresy of the scribes and the Pharisees because to them the law was only a matter of external performance, but never the heart. And Jesus is always concerned about the heart. So Jesus came along and said, I'm going to take this law away from their faulty interpretation and I'm going to bring it back to the heart of the matter. Jesus continues with this idea from verse 23, and he says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you that you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Talk about open heart surgery. Jesus is really applying this deeply to our hearts. And you know, church, who he's speaking to, to here? He's speaking very deeply to the hearts of people like myself who serve God and in whatever ways you serve God. Because you know what, church, those of us who serve God in some capacity, we might want to use the privilege that we have and say, you know what, I'm doing it for God. And because of that, we think that we can walk all over people and behave in certain ways. But what does Jesus say? He uses the analogy of bringing a gift to the altar. So you've got this goat that you bring into the sacrificial altar at the temple, and you're on your way to the altar. And let's just say that you come into the outer courts and and you can see the altar. But just before you get there, in the corner of your eye, you see a, a brother or a sister, and you know that it's not right between the two of you. What does Jesus say? He says, don't follow through with your religious services. First, go make right with your brother and sister. Get it right. Because you know what? It's easy for us to say, hey, man, I'm righteous. You know, I'm serving the Lord. I am filled with the Spirit of God. But it doesn't matter who I step over along the way because I'm doing God's work. Jesus says no. He says, if you want to do God's work, have a heart for people And when you've done wrong against him or her, set it right now. Not later, not next week, now. 
as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Remember, as I said a few weeks back, peace is not the absence of conflict. Make right with the genuine intentions in your heart and leave the rest up to them. Church, for the sake of time, I'm going to start closing this morning. We have so much more to speak about the way Jesus deals with and, and teaches about the law. But let me leave you with this. Jesus says the heart of how we deal with the law when it comes to sin, with the matters of life and, and, and one another, is massive. There's so much reference to how we, we need to deal with things in our heart throughout Scripture. For instance, in Proverbs chapter 4, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the, the issues of life. The prophet Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? And you know what the Bible says, right? That we have all sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. And when you hear a message like the one I'm preaching today, Right? It kind of, you look at this and you listen to this and it kind of feels like your heart has been plucked out of your body and examined right in front of you. And it doesn't always look that pretty, does it? It kind of looks a bit impure or, or a bit broken. And you may look at all of this and you may look at the, at the law and you, you may say, listen, I don't measure up. Try as hard as I might. No, how much, no matter how much effort I put in, I do not measure up. I need help. And you see, church, that's the point. God, knowing this, sends His Son, Jesus, and the law was intended to point us to the Savior. Right? So that we are aware that when we are reading the, the moral code of God, and we're like, you know what? I don't measure up here. I don't live up to this. Well, I'm falling short here. I'm falling short there. Where, where's my remedy? What's the cure? The law was intended to point us to Jesus. I mean, how can I get my heart right with God? It's Jesus. How do I, me and my wife work on restoring our marriage? It's Jesus. How do I work through the sin of, of lust or, or addiction? It is, it is Jesus. You mean, Pastor, I can't fix this on my own by doing more and more works or becoming a good person, or becoming a philanthropist to help all sorts of people and, and make myself feel better about myself. Church, the only way to fix the inherent problem in our hearts is Jesus. And let me share something with you this morning. In the greatest exchange ever known to mankind, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made His Son Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? What God said was, I will place your sin on my Son, and I will impute to you my Son's righteousness in return. What an exchange. What a deal for us, right? That Jesus would take on our guilt and and our shame and our sin when he died on that cross. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on that cross, Father God then says, my son's righteousness will be extended to you 
by faith. And let me ask you this. When we, you know, when we think about trying to work out the law or to perform in the law, what's more powerful? A relationship that I have with Jesus that governs my heart or by reading a bunch of rules and regulations that govern my mind? You see, when Jesus dies on a cross for our sins and we have a relationship with him, our hearts become regulated through a relationship based on love, not a relationship based on the law. So it's a much, much greater motivator when you have a relationship with somebody and you want to please them and you want to honor them from a heart of obedience. You know what Jesus says? I've come to do that in your life. And church, our response to this great exchange is merely to be like, like David. You said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. We're not going to figure this out on our own. We're not going to figure this out by trying to do all these certain works and, and deeds. And trying to be a better person. It's only Jesus. Jesus is saying this morning, I'm not concerned about your works. I'm not concerned about all the things that you're trying to do to be a better person. I'm concerned about you giving me your heart.